Jesus said, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed or literally righteousness, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets, that they may, be, that they might, may have the glory of man. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And Father, as we continue our study through the Sermon on the Mount, we pray, Father, as we always do, that you would help us to see and to hear and to apply the things that we read in your scriptures, Lord. If, if we're, we're not clear on a particular topic, we pray, Father, that through your word and by your spirit, you'd bring clarity. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we're going to spend in your word. We pray that you'd bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, Matthew chapter 5, I enjoyed that so much this time through. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, we saw how Jesus took six commandments from the law, uh, not just six commandments from the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, but from the law uh, as a whole. And he either interpreted them as they were meant to be interpreted, or in one case, he he changed it altogether. I mean, it was... uh, he needed to give clarity to, to the law. Now we move into a different section. And, and the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus deals with the motives and the actions of giving, praying, and fasting. So these are Christian disciplines. These are Christian uh, expressions of uh, Christians' expression of worship. And so he teaches us that there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. And he also shows us, as we've already seen thus far in the Sermon on the Mount, that the Lord is concerned about our actions, but he's much more concerned about the motive of our heart. Because, you know, you could go through the motion. You could, you, could, uh, you know, do the right thing or appear to be doing the right thing. But if the motive of our hearts are not right, then it's really not acceptable to the Lord. Now, if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 6, and you've read it and you studied it, and maybe you read ahead, you pick up right away that at the beginning of kind of halfway through uh, Matthew chapter 6, that Jesus really deals with two themes. I mean, he's, he's obviously dealing with the things that are apparent, you know, giving and how you're supposed to give. And then, as we'll see in a few moments, praying and how you're supposed to pray. But Jesus deals with two underlying themes. The first theme is seen in verse 1, to be seen by them. It's referring to doing things to be seen by others, to impress others. So Jesus deals with this through this first part of Matthew chapter 6. We see it in verse 1. We see it in verse 2. Look what it says in verse 2. That they may have glory from men. We see it in verse 5. That they may be seen by men. We see it in verse 16, second part of verse 16. That they may appear to men to be fasting. 
And then verse 18, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. And so there's this, you know, what you do, why are you doing it, what's motivating you? Are you doing it to be seen by men? And Jesus deals with that issue. The second theme, kind of underlying theme that Jesus deals with is rewards. There are rewards. The rewards are either coming from men or they're coming from your Father in heaven. And uh, I'll tell you, I'd rather have my rewards coming from Father in heaven than from men. Men are fickle. Um, you know, they could sing your praises one day and and uh, give you the, the shaft you know, the, the next, next time you see them. So Jesus says, take heed. Or be cautious that you do not do your charitable deeds or your righteousness before men to be seen by them. Now, guys, this might seem a bit confusing in light of what Jesus had just said. Now, it, we're going through this bit by bit, week after week. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know, a couple of months, maybe longer than a couple of months. And so we're kind of taking these little bites. But I remind you that when Jesus taught these things, it was in one setting. They were sitting there, they're listening to Jesus. And I wonder if as they were sitting there and they're listening to Jesus say these things in verse 1 of chapter 6, if they thought to themselves, no, wait a minute, Jesus. Not that anyone would necessarily say that to them. But maybe they were thinking, you said earlier, you said from their perspective, a few moments ago. For us, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. You said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, was Jesus contradicting himself? Jesus says, let your light so shine before men. So, let it shine so they can see it. That you may that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There's no contradiction. Listen, we are to be seen doing good deeds or good works, but we must not do good works to be seen. It's all about <laughs> the motive of the heart. You know, you could kind of put on a presentation, you know, and I was thinking, you know, I, I, I tried chatting with the fellows outside. There was only one. There's always, when you have a team like that, there's always one that's quiet and the other is the mouthpiece. And uh, so I usually try to address things to the quiet one because they're probably more open to the truth than the, the one always flapping the gums, you know. But I was thinking of how, as we're worshiping the Lord, I was thinking of how irritating it is that they're out here and have, that we have to deal with these types of things, you know. And then I, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, began to pray for their salvation because they really need to be born again. They need to be born again so that they have the Spirit of God, so that they know how to understand the Word of God. The Spirit of God is the author of the Word of God, and we will not understand the Word of God if we're not being taught by the Spirit of God. And, you know, man, left to his own devices, will come up with all sorts of strange doctrines that they cannot back up with Scripture at all. Thus is the case, sadly, with those two fellows. 
Jesus was not contradicting himself. He just simply says, listen, if you're doing good deeds, good works to be seen by men, check your heart, check your motives. Because there is no reward from Father if that's what motivates you. He goes on, verse 2, he says, Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Now, the Pharisees made a great show of everything they did. Their giving, their praying, (laughs) their fasting. We'll see that next week, the fasting. It's interesting to me when, you know, just going through the gospel accounts, just going through the Sermon on the Mount, that everything that Jesus has addressed so far in the Sermon on the Mount that, you know, is is wrong, the Pharisees are the example. (laughs) He's saying, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the scribes and the Pharisees. I know that you think that they've got a market on righteousness, but they are pretenders. They are hypocrites. I mean, that's what he calls them, hypocrites, pretenders. Matthew chapter 23, I mean, he speaks directly to them and he pronounces woes upon them because of the burden they were putting on people. So Jesus says, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. And you think, well, what's that all about? Apparently, the Pharisees would go to a street corner or maybe the synagogue They would have someone blow a trumpet. They would call all the needy people together. All the needy people would, you know, make their way to the to the Pharisees. And then they would hand out alms, you know, helping, giving gifts to the people, almost like Santa Claus, you know. And they would bask in the glory. The glory of what? The glory of people saying, Oh, he's a righteous man. Look how generous he is. Did you see how much he gave? Jesus says, Don't be like them they're driven by their pride by their pride pride is a strange thing and pride makes people do strange things it's been said pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone else sick except for the one who has it end of quote Going back to verse 1, Jesus, the second part of verse 1, Jesus said, Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus teaches that there is no reward from God when we seek the reward or the recognition from man. Jesus tells us that if we do our charitable deeds for the applause of man and we get the applause of man, enjoy it because that's your reward. That's all you get. That's really what he's teaching here. And so it's interesting, the Greek word that's used here for uh, they have the reward, it literally means paid in full or paid for service. So if this is what you want, this is what you're desiring, then this is what you need to do. Listen, there's a lot of pride, you know, in, in all of us, and this is something that needs to be kept in check. And I think that the longer we walk with the Lord, the Lord so gently has ways of humbling us out. (laughs) You know, we say something, we walk away from a situation, we go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Boy, that made me sound really prideful, you know. Uh, Or we do something or or whatever it might be. and, And the Lord just has a way of humbling us 
out. So, does all giving need to be done in secret? No, all giving does not need to be done in secret. It really depends on the manner and the motive behind the giving. The manner, the motive, yeah, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, don't overthink it. You know, the Pharisees, they would, and we'll, you know, see this in our next portion of scripture here. Apparently, as they would, you know, make their way through town, they would kind of make sure that they were in some public, you know, busy street corner, that when the hour of prayer then they would lift their hands or their voices and they would pray on the street corners. And it was all a show, all a presentation for others to watch, to see. So Jesus says, don't do that. All of our giving should be done unto the Lord. We should never uh, be proud of our own generosity or sacrifice. Whatever we do, we should do it for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, the next portion, and when you pray, says Jesus didn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites or the pretenders, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets. And this is why that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. There's nothing wrong with praying on a street, but there's a way to do it, isn't there? We don't need to make a spectacle of ourselves. Oh, that guy's praying. How do you know? Well, look at him. Can't you hear him? Uh, you know, I always uh, wrestled with this a bit, and I, I don't, don't want to make any enemies here, but, you know, uh, <laughs> that was a lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to make enemies, but I'm really not, not concerned about offending you by saying these things. But I would, I would be surprised when, you know, it was like, well, our kids can't pray in school. And I would say, well, why can't they pray in school? They can pray wherever they want to pray. Um, See, if we make a big deal out of it, well, they can't pray publicly or they can't pray out loud. Your child probably doesn't want to do that publicly or out loud. But we should teach them, we should train them that wherever they are, they could pray. They could lift their voice in their heart. They could lift their, their, their praise and their prayers to the Lord and pray to him. I remember when our oldest was in school, he brought his Bible to school for the, uh, I don't know what it was called, but, you know, the, just the reading. So you could bring a comic book or whatever you want to do. He brought his Bible. The teacher had a problem with that because it was a Bible, he said, Dad, you know, you should have seen some of the comic books. I mean, they were satanic, you know, and, and the teacher was all uptight about that. And uh, I think the next day when he went off to school, we said, well, here, don't forget your Bible. Because, you know, guys, we need to teach our children not to be rebellious, but to stand up for what's right as well. So Jesus says, verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in, secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And, and again, and when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for, the many, for their many words. 
Therefore, do not be like them. It's interesting how Jesus would use others as an example of what not to do. Don't be like them. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of there uh, before you ask him. By the way, let me go to 1 John. You don't have to turn there. But in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15, it says, Now this is a confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, and here's the little clause, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. So Jesus reminds us of that. Or in fact, he's the one who told us that. John reminds us of what Jesus had said. So prayer. Prayer is so important. We need to pray in the right way. We shouldn't pray just to be seen. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. But if you do not pray in private, what in the world are you doing praying in public? If, you know what I mean? It's, it's obviously a show. It's, it's something that you're putting on. Vain repetition. It does not mean that you ask for the same thing over and over again. That's not vain repetition. The word vain repetition that, that's used here literally means many words. So it's more of a kind of a, just a babbling. You know, uh, Christians, sometimes we have uh, in our vocabulary, in our prayer, uh, you know, vocabulary, we have these filler words that we just kind of, it's almost like a hiccup or a stutter, you know. We just kind of keep saying the same word over and over and over again, you know. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Thank you, God, 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 God. I like to remind people, you know, if I was speaking to my wife like that, Tracy, 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 she'd look at me and say, would you, you're driving me nuts. You've got my attention, you know. Just tell me what you want. (laughs) I'm not saying my wife is God, but (laughs) close to it. No, No, I'm joking. So it's not repeating yourself. Remember, uh, Paul said he prayed three times for this thorn in this flesh, this instrument, this, uh, you know, from Satan to buffet him, no doubt because of this experience he had being caught up in the third heaven and seeing these things and. And uh, he prayed, and then the Lord answered him, and so he stopped praying, my grace is sufficient. But if the Lord hadn't said that, he probably would have continued praying for that. Lord, would you do, wouldn't you do that? Oh, Lord, please heal me of this. Oh, Lord, please, please, Lord, I don't want to, please, Lord, please heal me, please heal me. Until the Lord says, no, enough, you know, this is it, or whatever, or it's answered, the prayer is answered. It's sad that the prayer... And let me read the prayer. You guys all know it. Look at verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, excuse me, forever. Amen. This prayer, sadly, has become vain repetition. I mean, it's a beautiful prayer. This is a perfect prayer. I mean, it really is an absolutely perfect prayer. 
It's become vain repetition because there are many people, for myself, example, Catholic, raised a Catholic, there were only three prayers that we ever prayed, and this was one of them. And you're learning this at a very young age. As a child, you're learning. And, you know, children pick up things really quick. And you can memorize things like the Pledge of Allegiance, you know. You can memorize it and never really think about what's coming out of your mouth. I mean, really consider what you're saying. And, and, and that was true, I think, for a lot of little Catholic kids, you know. Growing up, they had this. See, we got a lot of training because as Catholics, of course, you know that you go to confession. You go to confession to confess your sins to a priest so that the priest can uh, give you penance. The penance is not go out and flog yourself in the parking lot. The penance is, you know, uh, five Hail Marys and, uh, you know, half a dozen. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, five Our Fathers, you know. And, and so you go and you go back into the pew and you pray. You cannot leave. You cannot leave the church until you say your, your prayers, your penance. Isn't it a strange thing that prayer would be a penance? Almost like a punishment. You are bad. Go pray. Okay. And then you're praying this prayer. So the, the, the goal is, the faster I get done with these prayers, I'm out of here. Our Father, our name, that'll be that. And sadly, it's become vain reputation, not just Catholics. You know, Lutherans, any high church type of setting, they pray this prayer verbatim. And you're going to see that I, I've, I've come, come full circle. I, when I was born again, I stopped praying this prayer altogether. Because I thought, and this is how silly, you know, and how naive I was as a young Christian. I thought that this prayer was Catholic. Until the Lord showed me, it's not Catholic. I'm the one who gave the prayer. It's my prayer. They stole it from me. No. They're using it because I gave it to the church. I, I'm the one that gave the prayer, you know. But I wouldn't say this prayer. But I'll tell you, I've come full circle because I find myself, when I'm hard-pressed in praying, I don't know about you, sometimes praying is difficult. I don't know what to pray. Many times I'll use this prayer as an outline. Our Father. Or, you know, you just kind of add to it. You're adding to it all the different elements of the prayer. It's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful prayer. Luke tells us that Jesus taught them this prayer because they asked him, would you teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples? We don't, we don't know if the disciples ever has asked Jesus, could you teach us how to preach? Could you teach us how to teach? Could you teach us how to, you know, whatever, heal or do miracles? We don't have any uh, account of that at all. But we do see them asking specifically that Jesus would teach them how to pray. By the way, the context of Luke's account is when Jesus had finished praying. See, they're watching him. They're watching their Lord pray, and they say, we want to pray like you. You leave in the middle of the night. You go to an isolated place. You pray all evening. We want to pray like you. Teach us how to pray. 
And so Jesus gives them and gives us this short little 65-word prayer. Think about it, 65 words. Beautiful. It begins with an acknowledgement of relationship. Our Father. Our Father. The right kind of prayer comes to God as our Heavenly Father. When we say Father, we're using a privileged title demonstrating a privileged relationship. And of course, this privileged relationship is only with the Father is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. You must be born again. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, you must be born again. Time is running out. Remember, I'm a pre-trib guy. I'm joking because of what I said about them. I guess they're protesting because they found out I was a pre-trib guy. They must be watching our teaching. <laughs> the secret's out, you know. But anyway, there's no secret. I, uh, it would have been great if the Lord would have come right then. <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway, the prayer begins with an acknowledgement of relationship. And then it moves forward with an expression of faith. Our Father in heaven. How is that an expression of faith? Have you ever seen God? I haven't seen God. My Bible tells me that no one has seen God and lived. I mean, people saw Jesus, the incarnation, you know, of of God. But no one has seen God and lived. He dwells in inapproachable light. Um, And yet, we believe that he is. How? By faith. We believe by faith. This prayer expresses faith in him. When we say in heaven, we're remembering that that God's place, God's position, is not limited to this world. His perspective is not limited to this world. He's got a heavenly, eternal perspective. He himself is eternal. He is our father, but he's our father in heaven. Which leads to the next, an expression of reverence. Hallowed be your name. He's not the man upstairs. People who use terminology like that probably haven't been walking with the Lord very long. I don't mean that as a you know, put down or anything. But I think the longer you walk with the Lord and the more you're growing in the knowledge of his word and grace, you realize, boy, he's not the man upstairs. You know, my dad... Uh, I loved my dad. I love, you know, he's gone now. But um, I, I showed my dad respect. I'm sure I wasn't respectful all the time. I'm sure I was mouthy. I know I was mouthy. <laughs> I know I was very mouthy. I was a horrible son. I'm going to go do penance. <laughs> I'm, going. I'm sorry. No, but, but you know, there are certain things I would never say to my dad. I personally, listen, I grew up in the 70s when everyone was your old man or your old lady. I'd never call my dad, hey, old man. I'd never do that. Why? Because I respected him. I just didn't want, I want to talk to my dad like that. If I did, I might have a different view of him. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But how much more our Heavenly Father 
He's not the man upstairs. Hallowed means to make holy. You say, but he is holy. That's right, he is holy. So and in our praying, we need to set him apart, consecrate him in our hearts, in our minds as holy. He is the holy one. And so as we're praying, that's being expressed. That's coming out in our, in our tone, in our mannerism, in the things that we're asking of him. It's almost as if Jesus, as he's teaching this prayer, if you haven't caught it yet, there is no petition yet. There is no, I need, yet. We're not even there yet. It's almost as if Jesus is teaching without necessarily saying it. When you pray, slow down. Take your time to consider who you're speaking to. Who is he? What has he done? What is his nature? What is his character? Slow down. He's holy. The prayer moves on to an expression of expectation. Your kingdom come. There's a lot of strange teachings out there, and I'm sorry you know, to offend if uh, you happen to hold to this, but there's this teaching that's really infiltrated the church. It's this kingdom now uh, theology. I don't know where people get it. They don't get it from the Bible because the Bible clearly does not teach it. Things are not getting better. The church has never been called to bring in the kingdom of God. Christ is going to bring in the kingdom of God when he comes back, his second coming, and he sets up his kingdom upon the earth in fulfillment to what we read in in Isaiah and, and other places. He's going to set up his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. During that thousand years, the devil, <laughs> Satan, will be bound for a thousand years. No one will be able to say during that thousand year reign of Christ, the devil made me do it. No one will. And then he will be released at the end of that thousand years. This is all the book of Revelation, you guys. I hope you don't see it as an allegory. It's an allegory of what? If it doesn't make sense, the simple reading of it, it doesn't make sense at all. It's up to anyone's imagination. But he will let Satan out at the end of that, and there will be a rebellion. It's hard to believe that people will even choose to rebel against Christ when they're seeing him, they're looking at them, they're listening to his voice. He's right there, the resurrected Christ, you know. But think of that, this prayer. The Lord is saying, when you pray, I want you to pray, thy kingdom come. We could pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. Reign in my heart, Lord. Until you come to reign on earth, I pray that you would reign in my heart. I pray that you would truly be the Lord of my life. Your kingdom come. It's not the government of the United States or the governments of the world. It's your kingdom come. Let it be a reality to me. It's only going to be a reality to the believer first and foremost. And then it goes on to an attitude of submission your will be done. Now look at it, guys. There hasn't even been a request yet. It's not, Lord, I really want this. I really need this. Please give me this. But your will be done. We haven't gotten there yet. It's a submission. It's an acknowledgement that, Lord, even before I ask, I want your will to be done. I 
personally have a big problem with Christians who are like rude toward God when they're praying. Like, you know, I've got authority, and in the authority of the Lord, I do it, do it. And I like, oh, man, who are you talking to? <laughs> Woo! I mean, it's just weird to me, you know. Well, I have this authority, and I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to name it, and I'm going to claim it, and I'm going to get it. And I, man, I'm glad that that's not true. Because, I, you know what, there's a lot of things that I named and claimed that I'm glad never came to pass. I'm so glad that the Lord overrode my will and said, this is not my, you know, I, I have a will. In fact, the, the whole word, the word will, the Greek word, the Caesar, it means determination, choice, purpose, and pleasure. It's not our determination, uh, 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 choice, and purpose, or, and pleasure. It's his. Prayer is not an attempt to get God to align his will with our will. Prayer is just the opposite. It's us aligning with his will. I mean, don't we see this with Jesus? God in the flesh? Father, if this cup could pass from me three times, but not my will, your will be done. He knew it. Father's will was. This is the very purpose you came. He submitted to it. I mean, he doesn't just say, this is how you need to teach, or this is how you need to uh, pray, excuse me, this is how you need to pray. He prayed this way. He modeled it for us. Think about things. You know, oh, I'm so glad that the Lord overrode so many prayers that I thought this is the thing I need, you know, or, or want to happen. So then finally, look at how far are we? About midway down? Yeah, about midway down the prayer. Then we get to the petition part of the prayer. Give us. Give us, Lord. I, I think... I think the Lord is teaching us something so important, so powerful. Because you know what? If we were praying like this, not just praying the 65 words that we have recorded here, but praying these things, adding our own, you are my Father, you are in heaven. Your perspective is not my perspective. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You know, I, I mean... You know, as we're praying, as we're working through this, you know, submission, Lord, before I even ask anything, I don't want anything that you don't want for me, so your will be done. I mean, by the time you get there, your petitions, your wants, your needs have really kind of transformed, don't you think? I think they have. And you start realizing, well, maybe I, maybe, maybe I, I don't need that. He gives the most basic petition. Give us our daily bread. So often we begin with this. So often I begin with this. Lord, help. Lord, I need. Lord, we got a problem, you know. Like he's unaware, you know. Wake up, Lord. Lord, Lord, wake up. The ever-present Lord. Do you know the word daily 
it's only used, the Greek word that's used here, it's only used here in the entire New Testament, here in this portion of Scripture. And the word literally means sufficient for today. So this prayer is also speaking of trust. I trust you, Lord. I trust, I trust you, Lord, to use the method, the means that you see fit to meet my needs, my daily needs. You know, sometimes as men and women, I don't know, I always say men because I've never been a woman and I don't know how they think, but <laughs> I've tried. I've tried to learn it. I've got all my daughters and my wife, and they're so wonderful, but it's still a mystery to me. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we kind of look at things, even Christian people can look at things differently, you know. I remember kind of on a human level, um, you know, when I was working cabinet shops or, or carpentry, you know, job sites, that type of thing. Whenever I would get my paycheck at the end of the week, um, I would always say, thank you. Well, that's how my parents taught me, you know. Someone gives you something, the natural or polite response should always be, thank you, right? And one time... A guy, I was working for a guy, and he said, why do you always say that? You earn the money. And I said, yeah, but you just wrote the check and you just handed it to me. And I'm thankful that I have a job. So thank you. He was all bent out of shape because I said, thank you. He should be on a street corner somewhere. But anyway, sometimes we could do that with the Lord, you know. Well, I, you know, I work hard. I bring home the paycheck. I'm the one that's doing Listen, if you haven't come to the place of realizing it's the Lord, it's the Lord that's providing for you. How is he providing for you? Well, he's supplying work for you. He's giving you a body that functions, that, you know, you're able to do the task that you can do. It's the Lord. Why would you take pride in something that, you know, Rather than acknowledging him in all things and trusting him and saying, Lord, I trust you. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I just trust you. I am so thankful for the difficult times that, you know, Tracy and I and our family have had financially. Because both Tracy and I, you know, our fathers were professionals, uh, Tracy's dad was an architect, and my father worked for a steel company. He was a salesman and had big, you know, clients and all of this, and, you know, the nice fancy cars. We lived in nice neighborhoods. We had all the toys, you know. We had the, the swimming pools and the jacuzzis and the motorcycles and the surfboards and all the stuff, you know. We just... We kind of we weren't wealthy, but we surely were not poor. We were not struggling. And then we got married. And, you know, there was some times when both sides of the family would just, oh, I don't know how this, these guys are going to make it. You know, my first job, I was making four bucks an hour. 
as a carpenter, as an apprentice carpenter. And now, our groceries cost $25 a week. So that kind of puts things into perspective. In fact, when I heard I was making $4 an hour, I was excited about that because that was more than I made at my last jobs, you know. I told you about over at Fidago, the burger place, 23 bucks an hour. Man, I'm going to go get a job over there. But anyway, but you know, the struggles, the struggles. Uh, sometimes working on jobs, you're making a good wage. Oh, man, I wish this thing could last forever. But construction should never last forever. If it's lasting forever, you're not very good. <laughs> the goal is you finish, and then you move on to the next thing. And so you're always moving to the next job, and, you know, sometimes you just take what you can take and what you can get, and, and the struggles and the struggles and the struggles. And I'll tell you, it, it gives you an appreciation for the gracious hand of God. When you have no one else to turn to. Now, we always had our parents to turn to. They would always, always bail us out. And, you know, I was kind of growing in my faith in the Lord, and the Lord just convicted my heart and said, don't ask your parents. Who are you trusting? You're going to trust me, or are you going to trust them? You keep sharing the gospel with them, and they're just looking at you saying, well, we're the ones that are taking care of you. You see? And I remember saying, no, Dad, we'll be fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you know what? The Lord is never late. He's always gracious. He always has a way. And sometimes it just feels like, I remember when we first moved up here to pioneer the church, and it was just such a struggle. And, um, and we literally were down to cents. I mean, that's all we had. And uh, I thought, oh, gosh, this is so hard. I was looking for work for six months. I had never been out of work that long, ever in my life. I'd never been out of work for longer than a week my entire life. And, um, and cents. And I get a call from a friend, and he says, hey, there's a contractor in town, um, and he'd like to bring you on. I said, oh, good. Does he pay weekly? <laughs> and I ended up working for Roger Christensen and building some homes with him. And gracious man, very nice man, at least he was to me. I'm sure he is that way to everyone. It's like I'm confessing or something. But the Lord has a way of meeting our needs. And sometimes he wants us to learn that, and sometimes the only way to learn that is to go through difficult times. Do you understand that? And we hate it when we go through difficult times because we don't want our daily bread. We want our bread for the month. We want our bread for six months. We want our bread for a year. You know, that's what we want. We don't want to depend upon the Lord for our daily necessities. But I'm telling you, it builds our faith. i got to speed this up. It says our daily bread... It's not just asking for what I need, but it's also speaking of intercession. It's praying for what others need. By the way, I, you know, I, it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas time, and uh, we, we don't know 
everyone in the church, you know, how they're doing financially and everything. And so I mentioned this. I don't know if I mentioned it on a Wednesday night. I think I mentioned it at our prayer meeting. I think that's where I mentioned it, that we need your help. So if you know someone in the church, we're to, we're to minister to the household of God first and foremost. But if you know someone in the church and they're just kind of struggling financially, we, the church, we want to help them. Guys, I have people that come up on a regular basis. They, they are like chomping at the bit to help people right now. So, I mean, so if it's legit, you know, you don't want to. I do need a new truck. No, but <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That, that you need to help us with that, okay? So you guys need to let us know, hey, there is a family and they are kind of struggling. And we'll do it in a way that doesn't embarrass them or anything. But we want to bless people that really need it. And in our praying, we should pray that way. There's no singular pronouns in the prayer. It's not my, it's our. And then there's confession and forgive us our debts. The guys outside, they wouldn't like this one. It's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They say we don't sin anymore. Well, John didn't write this to non-believers. Scripture's written to believers. Scripture's written to Christians, uh, New Testament scriptures. So it's speaking of the believer who confesses their sin. He's faithful and just to forgive. And then it goes on to forgiving our debtors. This is praying with compassion and mercy. There's something supernatural that happens when we're praying, when we're really praying. Our perspective changes. We might be angry. Maybe we're angry at our debtors. Lord, well, finally, you know, I'm finally down to the place. I've got a lot to say about this person who's wronged me. And I'm telling you, if we're praying the way Jesus is showing us how to pray, I'm convinced that more times than not, by the time we get down to the prayer, you know, concerning our enemies or our debtors or or whatever it might be, it's going to diminish I guess it's just not that big of a deal. I guess I should be merciful, Lord. You've been so merciful to me. I guess I should forgive. You've been so forgiving to me. This is why prayer is so important. And then it moves on, a prayer for protection, deliver us from the evil one. We have a real foe, a real enemy. Listen, if you're not a Christian, you don't have this foe. But if you are a Christian, you have a target on your back. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what you're not doing. The mere fact that you belong to Christ, he's not happy about that. And we need to pray for protection. And then the prayer, it ends with praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Amen. So be it. So be it. So, Do we need to pray this prayer? No, we don't need to pray this prayer, but we get to pray this prayer. Praying is a privilege. It's amazing that Jesus is the one who invites us to pray, to knock, to seek. It's interesting that Jesus, even through some of his parables, he teaches us, Be persistent. Almost as if 
you know, I mean, the Lord's not reluctant, but he, he encourages us. Be persistent. You keep going. Keep going. Really, Lord? Yes. Keep going. There's a purpose even in that. Praying is a discipline. When I come to the end of my life, if my one of my children or my grandchildren or Tracy, you know, was to say any regrets, I know at the top of the list it will be, I wish I would have prayed more. There are, I'm going to repeat myself. So because I'm repeating myself, I hope I didn't already say this at this service. I don't think I did. But I need help. You need help. There are some things that we don't do very well, but others do it quite well. I love to worship the Lord, but unless I'm singing, you know, with with the aid of those who know how to lead me in worship. I mean, I, if I'm just singing to myself, I, I could imagine the Lord himself and all of heaven holding their ears, saying, make him stop. Please make him stop. Because I just don't, I don't sing. I don't, I don't, I just don't. But I love to worship the Lord. I love to sing. And I'm so thankful for the aid of, of those who, Help me worship the Lord. I wish I had a very disciplined prayer life. I don't. I pray. I pray throughout the day. But it's kind of praying on the go. You know, you're praying. I'm driving. I find that I do a lot of my praying in my vehicle from, you know, out where we live into town. And so I pray. But I have these lapses you know I've never been one I read about different people that I admire you know these uh, you know fathers of the faith or mothers of the faith you, you know what I mean people who really have a strong will and they talk about rising hours before daylight and spending that time in prayer and I just think gosh I I just can't do it. I, I, I probably can do it, but, but I just struggle at it. It's a discipline for me. Sometimes I'm praying, and all of a sudden, then my mind is going elsewhere. Can you guys identify with that? And now I'm thinking about something else. What am I thinking about? Why am I thinking about that? Oh, anyway, Lord, you know. And that's why I love to be with my brothers and sisters and pray. I love our prayer meetings. Because we just come together and we pray. There's no agenda. We fellowship. Usually, you know what I love about the things we do here? People always show up early just to hang out. And then they stay late just to hang out. Because people like each other here. I like that. But I love our prayer meetings because we just come together and we pray. And... And I feel like there's so much accomplished in those prayer meetings. And I feel like the Spirit of God is moving in such a powerful way. I mean, it's something, it, it, is, it is the smallest gathering in most churches. I know of some churches, they don't even have a prayer meeting at all. I can't even imagine a, a church that doesn't have a prayer meeting, you know. 
But there's something about coming in, and now I'm encouraged. I'm with my brothers and sisters, and it's not a discipline at all. Oh, it's such a joy. And, and sometimes it feels like the hour or hour and a half that we pray, we just kind of go in, and we just pray, and one after another after another, you know, jump in, you know, the water's fine, you know, you just kind of get in there and pray. And I just feel like, boy, that time went by so fast, so rich. I show up to prayer meetings an hour before prayer meetings so that I could pray before the prayer meeting, so that I would be in the right attitude for the prayer meeting. I just have to do that. I'm kind of wired that way. When I drive home, I I know that everyone who came to the prayer meeting, as we're driving home, we're remembering people that we said, I'll pray for you, and we forgot. And then we say, oh, Lord, I pray for this, and I pray for that, and I forgot. Forgive me, Lord, for forgiving, forgetting them, you know. We need each other. The Lord invites you to pray. He loves you. You are his children. He loves you so much, and he's coming. Jesus is coming for his church. I hope you believe in a pre-trib rapture. Listen, if we're wrong, we'll change our view to mid. (laughs) But I'll tell you, there's something wonderful about living your life in light of the imminent return of Christ. Oh, man. Today could be the day. Worship team, come on up. I woke up this morning at 3.30, not to pray, but because I thought that it was 5 o'clock, and then I couldn't go back to sleep, and so I got up. As I was rolling out of bed, my feet touched the floor, and this thought, just like an arrow shot through my mind, it was last Sunday, last Sunday, I thought. What a strange thing. Last Sunday. Mine, Lord? (laughs) My last Sunday? I mean, I'm okay with that. Someone else's last Sunday? What does it mean? Last Sunday, last Sunday, last Sunday. Got up. Went over the text, reading the text this morning. But I kept going back to that, Lord. Is this from you? Why would I think of that? Why would I, I? My head's foggy when I first get up. I don't have those sharp, you know, thoughts that just kind of run through my mind. Why am I? Why did I? What does it mean, Lord? What does it mean? And I have no idea what it means. If this was my last Sunday, you could say He knew that. I don't think it is. But I, I concluded with this, Lord. We should live every. Sunday, every day, as if it could be our last. And I'll tell you, it has a beautiful, purifying effect upon our lives. Do you love Jesus more today than you did yesterday? I hope that our relationship with him is growing, it's ever increasing. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us how to pray, Lord. And pray, Lord, that we would, especially those who struggle with the discipline of of prayer and really how to pray and, and that type of thing, Lord. You lead us by your spirit. But we thank you for this model prayer that we could add to, that we could just put kind of the the uh the tissue, the the flesh onto this prayer. 
We pray, Father, that we'd be men and women, if we have children that don't know you, that we would pray fervently, that we'd knock, 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 ask, 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 that we'd be persistent until they repent and surrender their life to you, that we'd not stop. If we're married to a spouse and they don't know the Lord, that we'd do the same. But Lord, if there's something we need to receive from you, Lord, that we'd be persistent. And if until you say, no, that's not for you, or, or no, not now, or whatever it might be, we just pray, Father, that there would be this sense of urgency and expectancy and joy and praise, and that we'd be able to finish our prayers, regardless how short or how long, with this, just giving you thanks for all that you've done thus far. And then we might sing your praises and say, oh, you were faithful then and then and then and then. And then we might remind you, even though we don't need to remind you of anything, but we might recite the times that you showed your hand upon our lives in a mighty way. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.